Love Rice is sponsored by Bloom, a resource for women where we gather and share information, like today's interview about sexuality. Be sure to log in to bloomforwomen.com and search their online courses about sex and intimacy. From Bloom, this is Scabs, and you're listening to Love Rice, a podcast about experiments with love and life and happiness. Now, if it's at all possible to fangirl over a therapist, I totally am. I'm so excited because today we talked to Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Now, she runs a private practice near Chicago where she focuses her therapy on relationship and sexuality issues. In fact, she wrote her dissertation on women's sense of sexual agency in their marriages, which ties right into what we're going to discuss today. So Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, she's what we would call a sex therapist, but this wasn't always the case. What did you want to be when you were little? Not a sex therapist. I wasn't thinking that. I would have flipped out if I had been told that. No, go to first grade. What do you want to be, Jennifer, when you grow up? Actually, in short order, I actually, when I was in eighth grade or so, I knew I wanted to be a, a therapist. I, I knew that really appealed to me or an interior designer, one or the other. Right. And, um, but I thought maybe a child psychologist because that didn't feel so scary. And then when I got to be in high school, I thought maybe I want to be like a real adult psychologist. Um, yeah. and, but maybe I also still want to be an architect or, a, or, a, or a ther I mean, or an interior designer. And then I think I was just afraid of a PhD. I just didn't know if I could do it or not. But then once I got into college, I just got clear. Okay. I definitely want to be a therapist. So I channeled all my energy that way. And then once I got into my PhD program, I wanted to focus on sex. So, wow. Yeah. What was that's a journey. Although I've been drawn to her work, I do struggle with some of her concepts. Even this interview was hard for me to digest. She asks real questions that beg real answers. But I think that's what I love. I love the challenge and I love the discovery. So this is a two-part interview. Part one, we're gonna take a look at how some patterns keep us stagnant. And part two, which you'll get next week, We'll talk more about how to own our sexuality, whether we're in a relationship or not. For now, though, I just suggest taking the time to listen, maybe even listen twice, and see what pushes you to learn more. These days, we hear a lot about betrayal trauma. And if this phrase is new to you, it basically refers to the trauma that we feel when we've been betrayed. I mean, obviously, right? but really referring to the betrayal in a marriage or a partnership due to some kind of intimate deception, an affair, pornography, something like that. The rise of the idea behind betrayal trauma for many of us has been the godsend of validation that we've needed. Today though, I thought it would be interesting to, you know, widen our scope, widen it beyond the paradigm or the idea of trauma, maybe challenge ourselves, and see what's next. What do you think of the word um, or the phrase betrayal trauma? That's an excellent question because I do have a bit of a reaction to it, but I, but not really. I'm so here. Here's I don't I don't know if I. I think that it's partly a paradigm that is part of the problem, not mm -hmm. the solution, and so that's that will sort of come out in my responses. I'm not. I'm okay if people, because it does feel traumatic. It's extraordinarily disorienting to find out somebody you thought was trustworthy isn't. And it's 
people can have symptoms that are PTSD, like no question around mm-hmm. the disorientation that happens and it's overwhelming. So I don't take any issue with that. Um, and so I don't want me questioning it to be like minimizing my right. questioning of the paradigm. I'm certainly not minimizing of the experience. What I'm trying to open up more is the question of what development looks like. It's not just a repair of like getting this guy to promise you enough he's faithful and you convincing yourself it's believable. It's about something developmentally different really happening. Because I think betrayal trauma, at least in my mind, the way that many clients talk about it, invokes this sense of their dependency that is inherently problematic. Mm. And so that's what I want to kind of challenge, hopefully, in the conversation is the way we construct men and women and sexuality and how that impacts what healing looks like. And that there's a whole different way of thinking about it that actually liberates people. And I've seen be able to not just overcome and repair, quote unquote, but actually develop something different and much better. Mm, I like that idea. I like the idea of liberation. Yeah. And that word is really like, I think when you come into this situation, you do feel the opposite of liberated, which is (laughs) trapped. Let me introduce you all to a little Scabology 101. This is my theory. When something is mind-blowing as betrayal happens in our lives, whether it's from an affair or pornography or whatever it is, it feels like falling face first, you know, flat onto the bathroom floor, and it completely knocks us out. A lot of times we just stay there, crying, sobbing, unsure of everything. After a while, most of us, you know, come to our knees and wipe our tears away, And we find a way to reach out. We get help. We meet people. We pay attention to ourselves and to our self-care. And then we get completely off the bathroom floor and, and we start to breathe again. We're standing. I mean, we're still in the bathroom, but we're standing. And this is a huge milestone. And then it just seems like we kind of get stuck in the bathroom. We go round and round, unable to find the door. And what resonates with me about what Dr. Finlayson Fife is saying is that this might be a way to move beyond the trauma, to get ourselves out of the bathroom, down the hall, past that front door, and out into our lives. So first questions first. I want to know, I mean, when a couple's gone through this, do we have a fair shot at healthy sexual intimacy in a relationship after betrayal? Well, I would say absolutely, although I don't want to minimize what that means. Um, I think people absolutely have a chance because I see human beings as fundamentally capable of development. And oftentimes these kinds of crises, um, as horrible and disorienting as they are, pressure development in at least one of the people, if not both. Sometimes it's just in the the development of the betrayer or the betrayed. But when it's both people, then I have at least seen people be able to take the crisis and fundamentally pressure their development into something different Mm -hmm. and much better than what they had before the crisis or the revelation of the betrayal. So in other words, kind of like the old adage of, you know, the coal under pressure turns into diamonds. 
You know, if right. if you find this, you're in this situation and you're able to make a diamond out of it and your spouse or partner is able to make a diamond out of it, it really is possible to, yes. have, to have a fair shot at, at coming back from this. That's how I think human development really happens. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes in the way we talk about attachment and disruption and attachment and betrayal, the goal sometimes is around just like repairing the attachment rather Mm -hmm. than really evolving and developing something fundamentally better. So talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that for me, if you could, the difference between those two. Well, it it touches on a whole paradigm that um, I think there's there's perhaps I would say there's two paradigms in the therapy field of how people deal with relationships and issues such as infidelity. And I have been deeply influenced by David Schnarch's work, which is a differentiation-based approach, and uh, where probably the most typical approach in the field is a more of an attachment-based model. And without dragging you through all the specifics of that. <laughs> in layman's <laughs> and, terms, right? <laughs> yeah, in layman's terms. And also, I don't, to be fair, I don't have a full understanding of an attachment theory like like therapists that practice it all the time. Mm. But my stereotype, at least, of the two different approaches is that an attachment approach is that you are fundamentally dependent upon the good functioning of other people for your good functioning, that basically what makes a marriage good is having a secure attachment. And so Mm. a therapist is often trying to shape her clients or his clients into being people that are expressing um, safety and security and comfort to the other person, um, like a good parent-child relationship would be. And of course, in the model of a, of a betrayal, that person has become a very bad parent in the sense, you know, they've right. become a very right. bad, you know, they, they aren't yeah. the person you thought you could depend upon in this way. And it, so what I would say is that the paradigm creates a, a trap. You know, there's, if, if you're dependent upon this person then they've demonstrated they're not dependable, they're not trustworthy, what do you do? Uh, how do you trust them? And as I often say to my clients, it's good judgment not to trust him. You know, they're like, I want to trust him, but I don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, I don't see any problem in not trusting him. That sounds like a function of good judgment. What they're really often trying to say to me is, but I want to trust him. I want the security that I thought I had. I know this so well, you know, but I want to trust him saying that to myself over and over again. I remember that with my own Mr. Scabs, and I was always so confused with myself for feeling this way because I wanted to trust him. But why did I want to trust someone that had so deeply deceived me? You know, and I began to feel this conflict between what I wanted as a bonded, attached couple and what I wanted for myself individually, differentiated. A differentiation-based approach is pressuring the question of, is this dependency that we have created really um, good for either one of us? And if I'm not going to hang my hat on him making life secure for me, then what do I have to develop in myself to be a wiser, more solid person? Wait a minute. Let's, let's hear that again. <laughs> then what do I have to develop in myself to be a wiser, more solid person? 
And when you have two people who are willing to do that, you actually become more capable of intimacy and love than you were in that more dependent, even if in some ways easier state that you were in pre-breach or pre-affair. So we're talking about two different theories or ways therapists approach relationship issues. The first is attachment theory, which defined by Dr. Finlayson Fife is basically the idea that we're dependent on the good functioning of other people for our good functioning. For example, I can no longer depend on Mr. Scabs to provide trust or stability. And so therefore, I feel this kind of broken attachment toward him, a broken attachment that requires repair. The other theory is differentiation. And as Finlayson Five describes here, it's a place of recognizing, you know, for example, I can no longer depend on Mr. Scab to provide trust or stability. And so therefore, I need to determine what changes I can make to become a wiser, right, more whole person. So would you say um, attachment theory is probably the norm among therapists or would you say I would say it's the norm and it certainly is a part of human experience attachment is but it's Mm -hmm. just not the whole picture is that we do want very much to belong to other people that's the attachment part of being human but we also want to belong to ourselves we want to know that we really matter to someone but we want to also be true to our own goals and dreams and wishes and our own Mm -hmm. development And so I think a good model accounts for both of those realities. And that's part of what's going on in affairs or in deception is this tension between wanting to belong to another person and belong to yourself, right. which I won't get into right now entirely. It would take me, <laughs> I'd be here for an hour. But um, <laughs> I wish we could, but yeah, yeah. You know, that brings up a thought for me also. So when you talk about the dependency model, I think of codependency. Mm-hmm. Is that in yeah. the same? Codependency is an expression of that more attachment approach. I and see. I think, you know, in um, in a in a differentiation based, it might be the language that's used more around enmeshment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and that is to say that you are creating collusions of dependency on someone so that you don't have to develop yourself. For example, a traditional marriage, which I studied quite a bit in my dissertation research is, you know, basically let's, let's, let's cut a deal here. I will depend on you. This is the female's position in a traditional marriage. I will depend on you to give me a life, to give me a sense of security, to give me a sense of direction and mattering, you know, Cinderella essentially. Right. Right. And if you'll take away those anxieties of dealing with life on my own terms, I will basically forsake my development and be yours. But you need to make me feel good about me. Okay. Mm. The man, the traditional position is the Prince Charming, which is to say, okay, I, fine, I will take care of you, but I get to feel superior. I get to feel that I'm in control. I'm in charge. And that at least in the sexual realm, my wants matter more than yours. And, um, and that's the deal. I will be the kind of superior caretaker 
and you be the good daughter, but we will both depend on one another. One need, one is needy. The other needs to be needed. We'll depend. Those are both needy positions. Needing to be needed is a needy position. We will depend on the validation we get from our respective roles to actually underfunction in our individual development. Pause. Rewind. But we will both depend on one another. One need, one is needy. The other needs to be needed. We'll depend. Those are both needy positions. Needing to be needed is a needy position. We will depend on the validation we get from our respective roles to actually underfunction in our individual development. And when that gets ruptured, it's extremely disorienting. It can be. Yeah. Changes uh, you forever. Changes you forever. Mm-hmm. And what you do with it is extremely important in terms of whether or not it kills you or it makes you stronger. Now, a, a couple of months ago, I interviewed a very cool lady. It's a story that I'm still working on, and I hope to be able to get out to you here in the next couple of weeks. But just to give you a little preview, her name is Elle. She writes on the blog, betrayedwivesclub.blogspot.com. And her heinous D-Day was about 10 years ago. And in talking with what we do with this incredibly painful and terrible experience, Elle says this. I hate thinking of this experience as, it's, I, I, I don't ever want to, sort of imply, and certainly to the people that come to my blog, I don't want to present kind of that Pollyanna, oh, you can grow from this, and oh, but at the same time, I can't ignore the fact that there's no question that I tapped into um, sort of strengths and and kind of a well of self-respect that I'm not entirely sure I was aware I had. Um, so I don't know whether that's just looking for silver lining, but I mean, it's there. Just like Elle, I can't deny that I've been able to tap into my own powerful something, something that woke me up from within and moved me forward. All right, let's keep going with Dr. Finlayson Fife. So, you know, generally it seems like there's one partner that wants sex or intimacy more than the other. I mean, is this kind of mm-hmm. the, the norm? Okay, so so when when some kind of betrayal or discovery of, uh, you know, a sexual issue comes up, it seems to me and to many of us that the conflict, this conflict between partners is magnified. Mm-hmm. Meaning, yep. you know, okay, okay, good. So may- meaning one partner is going to say, I need to have sex I- because I need to show you love. I need to connect. I need to really, I, I need it. Plus I just need it, you mm-hmm. know, and we'll never heal if we don't have sex. Um, so, you know, that's kind mm-hmm. of one, one argument. And then the other partner is saying things like, there's no way I want to be near you. I want to mm-hmm. be connected with you. I feel so dis- disconnected, even so far to say, you know, I feel used, unsafe, you know, humiliated. Right. Right. You know, the, the you know even desire or lust feels unsafe. Right. So right. So talk a little bit about this conflict, if you would. Okay, it's like a where to start question. I know, I know, <laughs> because there's, there's really so, so much, much in that. So and much. what you're articulating is very much that paradigm that mm-hmm. I just talked about mm-hmm. that co- that codependency to use that yeah. frame or that 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 collusion between a couple. Yes. Yeah, um, because what the man's saying is, look, I have my biological needs. I have my sexual entitlement here. 
and you were betraying my entitlement by not having more sex with me. That's why I went and looked at porn. That's why I had the affair. Mm -hmm. That's why I took an entitled deceptive position is because of you. Okay. It's obviously very problematic position to take. It holds no water, right? Let's holds just be clear. No, it holds, I, I, I don't want to quite say it holds no water because I don't want to obscure another conversation about okay. this. I also okay. think it's important, which is when we construct a woman as sort of weak and, and not a whole person and sexually just accommodating men's sexual desire, um, then you, that's I'm trying to keep track of my, all my thoughts here. <laughs> you kind of co-construct a picture of um, she both that she does owe it to him, mm -hmm. okay, and also that she has no sexuality of her own to speak of because she's this innocent part person, right? A lot of times, you know, we mm -hmm. talk about the the wives that have been harmed and hurt by their husband's lasciviousness, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's true that husbands being deceptive, um, selfish you know, brutal, even it is, it is destructive. Okay. That's absolutely true. But what I resist is the collusion in the idea that women are sexless and needy and desireless beings that need protection from these men whose sexuality will take them down in a heartbeat if they're not careful. Mm. It's, it's like a reinforcement of a paradigm that keeps everyone stuck. Learn more at finlayson-fife.com. Check out her workshops and courses on sexuality. And I especially like her office hour recordings where she answers all kinds of client questions. Meet us back here next week for part two. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas about this episode, email me at scabs at bloomforwomen.com. Love Rice is sponsored by Bloom, a resource for women where we gather and share information, like today's interview about sexuality. Be sure to log in to bloomforwomen.com and search their online courses about sex and intimacy. The end. All right, now I need a burrito. That sounds really good.